You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. We're actually starting a new uh, new series this week, and what we're looking at are some of the letters that we find in the New Testament, and looking at that as if we were saying as Eastside Church that we have mail. These are letters that come to others, but they are also letters that come to us. So Philippians, the second chapter, the first through the 11th verses. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our parent. May God add his reading, his blessing to our reading and our hearing of these words this day. There were really two separate realities with a deep connection. There was a missionary turned political prisoner writing to his friends in a distant city, and a fledgling church whose members were having a hard time staying away from petty disagreement. The church owed its existence to the missionary's love and determination. He was, after all, the one who had brought them together, the one who had shared Jesus with them when they were still just a disconnected group of individual people seeking truth on their own. But the missionary moved on because that's what missionaries do. And leaving behind was a community shaped by his teaching 
and holding on to a very substantial piece of his heart. The letter's content doesn't tell us a thing about the outcome of this missionary's arrest. As a Roman citizen, he did have certain protective rights. But you see, his Jesus message was a threat to the government. And seditious acts, even those of citizens, come at a high cost. So it's no exaggeration to say that this letter might be the last that these friends would hope to receive from their founder. It's a letter where every single word is carefully chosen and only the most important matters are addressed. He begins with a very personal introduction. I'm thankful to God when I remember you. I pray for you with gladness. I know you hold me in your heart. I suspect that you can imagine some who have passed this way, having those kinds of feelings for Eastside Church. It's followed with an anxiety-relieving message of comfort. Don't worry. Don't worry. My arrest has actually helped to spread the gospel. The people here know that it was my commitment to Jesus that got me arrested. And curiosity has driven them to want to know more. I don't know if I'll make it back your way again, but I long for that possibility to become reality. And finally then, there are words of instruction, words that he hopes will help to repair the damage that can be done when people are at odds with one another. Because there is encouragement in Christ, because we are loved with such a consoling love, because we share the same spirit, a spirit of compassion and sympathy, be of one mind. Set aside ambition and conceit and look within yourselves to find enough humility to regard other people as better than yourselves, to place other people's interests ahead of your own. These are some eloquent words, but they compose a very difficult set of expectations. Regard others. Place their interests ahead of yours. Biblical wisdom tells us that this is a vital part of the recipe that's necessary for finding unity in human community. But you see, it's counterintuitive to just about everything that we learn when the world around us is our primary teacher. Why regard others when others disregard me? When they really don't deserve to be regarded? And why subordinate my interests to someone else's when it might result in someone taking advantage of me? 
I know the Bible likes to talk about that kind of stuff, and it would be terrific. We can all see it would be terrific if everyone would agree to do it. But in real life, it's not practical. And you might even say it could be irrational. This is the way that good church folk sometimes reason our way into a different truth. The one that says, it's okay to claim the Bible as our guide, but we've got to do it really selectively. Any more than that is going to be reckless. After all, it's a letter from prison. And that alone should remind us that sometimes the danger of being faithful is real. So we ask ourselves, what is real? What is true? When Pilate questions Jesus just before he's put to death, these are the questions that are foremost in his mind. And many times the answer to those questions depends on who you decide to ask. But one of the promises that we make when we sign up for this business of following Jesus is that we will not look to the world to tell us our particular truth. We will look to Jesus. And like it or not, practical or not, Jesus' truth is grounded in the kind of love that desires what is best for the other person. So the missionary writing this letter uses his pen to shift the focus, to shift it away from what he hopes the disciples will do, regard others, put their interests above their own, he shifts it to what God in Christ has already done, regarding each of them at the expense of his own well-being. And he reminds them of this truth by sharing with them a song. It's one they might have heard before, but somehow it seems that they may be beginning to forget exactly how the song goes. Have this attitude among you that arises from the fact that you belong to Jesus. Jesus was equal to God, but chose not to use that equality for advantage. Instead, Jesus poured himself out serving others as a slave serves a master and living so fully according to the love of God that even death was not too high a price to pay. The Bible calls this self-emptying love, and it encapsulates the true nature of who God is. This is the great truth. The truth that the writer of this letter and the author of the song knew to be real. But it's a hard concept for us to grasp. 
You know, there's a scene in one of the Harry Potter movies where Harry and his classmates are being introduced to this magical creature that is going to play an important role in their survival. The gamekeeper, Hagrid, is coaching the students about the right way to approach this giant bird-like animal. He tells them that they should bow as a sign of their regard. And when the creature responds with a bow of his own, then the student will know that a relationship has been established. Well, it seems to me that that's kind of how it is with God. God bowed in our direction at the beginning of time. And we bowed in response and a relationship was begun. And God has continued to bow in our direction ever since. It's God's determination to continue that ritual that captures the depth of our passage this morning. To be godly, to walk in God's way, is to continually bow in the direction of the other. Whether or not the bow that we offer is well received. Jesus embodied God's gracious bow and made it possible for our relationship with God to continue. We are people who are called to bow, but sometimes we forget. William Greenway has written that the passion of Jesus Christ is not the cross, but rather that the cross is the consequence of Jesus' passion. The passion of Jesus, he says, is the passion of God with us, a self-emptying love that cares deeply for justice and for joy, acting with an absolute sensitivity to the vulnerabilities and the suffering of others. We don't self-empty by focusing on ourselves. But when our concern for others takes us beyond ourselves, beyond obsession with achievement and obsession of guilt over our failures, then we receive the comfort of an Easter yes that is absolutely so overwhelming and so unconditional and so undeniable and so absolute that it is experienced as unfailing, eternal grace. It's a yes that is more potent than any enduring or conceivable no. But Greenway continues, when radical self-emptying meets real situations, a cross is almost inevitably involved. It doesn't mean that we would be killed, but it might mean we lose some prestige or some security or some wealth or even some power. So the gospel is not for the faint of heart. 
Nevertheless, it is the only true gospel for those who want to be welcomed as imitators of Christ. And at the end of the story, the victory belongs to God, who out of unimaginable love for this world, bowed so deeply that it looked for just a moment as if the world had won. Today's portion of our letter begins just as, ends just as it began, with words of instruction. Therefore, dear friends, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you might, in the midst of all that is wrong with this world, shine like stars. Shine like stars. You know, one of our sacramental practices as United Methodist is infant baptism. And it can sometimes be confusing for folks from other traditions where a reasoned decision was understood to be a preliminary requirement for baptism. But it occurs to me that today's passage helps to illuminate that passage just a bit. You see, when parents bring a baby for baptism, the child is certainly too young to know that bowing toward others is God's plan for her future. But that same child is not beyond the reach of God's gracious bow in his direction. The water, the water's the outward sign of the spiritual grace that continually seeks to restore that image of the self-emptying God within that child. It's the beginning not the end of a journey in faith. So when the family gathers by the waters, the parents promise to be as vigilant as possible in teaching their children the ways of faith. And the congregation, the larger community that surrounds them, promises to actively care for all of the children who come our way. We're all their teachers. We've made promises, but we'll never be able to teach them more than we know or more than we are willing to live. If that missionary were writing to us, the message might be just about the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Have the attitude of Christ among you. Do not be impersonators of Jesus trying to make people believe that you are what you are not. Instead, be imitators, acting out of self-emptying love. Be filled with regard for others. Place the interest of others ahead of your own. Remember who you are, and then just be yourselves. The children watching. My name is Terry Harrison, and I'm inviting you all for the congreg congregational prayer. Um, I invite you to the congregation prayer in a, in a silent reflection on the sermon. O oh, merciful and 
Gracious Father, we come to you as humble as we know how, asking in the name of Jesus that you come and see about your children. O oh, merciful Father, there are families that loved ones did not wake up this morning. We ask in the name of Jesus that you go by and see about them. Then we ask as you move through the land that you go by and see about the people in the hospitals. We ask in the name of Jesus that you go by the jails. Give them to know that you have not forgotten about them in the name of Jesus. In your mercy. Oh, merciful Father, we all stand in the need of prayer. This church, your world stands in the need. Mankind cannot handle this vast wave of technology, so nothing is hidden from our children. We're asking that you go and see about our young people, our future. So many things are happening out here in this land, as we go on our day-to-day -day journeys, we're asking that you just keep us, keep all of us in the name of Jesus. Bless us, O oh merciful Father. These matters that we have put before you in the name of Jesus are serious matters. We need you and we need you now, merciful Father. We beseech thee that you come while the blood is running warm in our veins. In your mercy. Hear our Amen. As you go through your week, there are going to be some people out there. And I would like to invite you to take a minute and bow in their direction. You don't literally have to bow, but find a way to reach out and to be the one to start a relationship because you never know when they might bow back and something really real could begin. And now grace, mercy, and peace from the God who has created us, the God who has redeemed us, and the God who sustains us. Be and abide in your hearts this day and through the week to come. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.